Um, do you want, so I'm just going to get, I thought before I start talking tonight, I was going to have a couple of testimonies. So Nathan's just been away, abroad. Um, and then we'll probably get Jess to come and share. Is that right? You can go first. So. Hi. Hello. <laughs> um, I've just been away to Vienna in Austria, a part of something called Awakening Europe. I'm not sure if anyone's, anyone heard of Awakening Europe. Okay, that's some of you. <laughs> um, it's part of a team run by Ben Fitzgerald. He sets up a thing, and it's funnily enough to awaken countries, but to restir some hearts for Christians and for non-Christians. So I was out there last week from Thursday to Sunday. Incredible time. Uh, got a chance to do some outreach as well in 33 degrees. So it's a perfect combination. <laughs> um, but we had some amazing stories. So a couple I'll just share is there was, I got a pain of bad wrist. And so we're walking around, and I'm... Um, trying to indicate bad wrist. I don't speak a word of German, so that's not very helpful. <laughs> and then we come across a guy, he turns out to be Muslim. And so we pray, and he's like, I'm not really sure this is going to work. I believe that Allah, and I don't think Allah heals. So it's like, okay, it's interesting. So we pray for him, and he's completely healed. The pain completely goes. And then he has no idea what to do. <laughs> um, and he, he just quickly thanks me. And as you see him walking away, he's just doing this. And the look on his face was priceless. <laughs> Um, and then another one I went out with someone else from the church called Jo Bungay um, she heads the youth here um, something she likes to do is she buys some flowers and she loves to bless someone with some flowers so we went into a restaurant that was completely empty at 5pm in the capital city which is I think a god moment <laughs> um, we go in and there's these two ladies and she gives the flowers and I'm just waiting outside praying and while I'm walking around I stub my foot <laughs> as you do and you've heard of sympathetic pains I thought oh Maybe that's a word of knowledge. <laughs> so I go and I ask, oh, do you have pain in your right foot? She's like, yeah, I've got it quite bad. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I decided, can I just pray for that? It wasn't hurting at the moment. So I got the opportunity to pray for it and hope that would all be good. And they were a lovely couple. Um, but one, some of the, the highlight for me was that we had some amazing guest speakers in, in the evening service where they would do an altar call. So we had Todd White, we had Daniel Kalenda, we had Heidi Baker and a couple of other amazing people. And over the period of three evenings, over 850 people were saved. And that's just, and that, that's just the greatest miracle. And just how exciting it is that this keeps happening. So I started following the guys on Instagram, and they're in Switzerland. And another 400 people they've seen saved this week. And it's just incredible to see how God is moving in Europe. Jess, do you want to come and share? So we like freedom um, in this church. It's kind of a core value. Whatever God sets you free from, uh, we celebrate. And Jess is a student on the evening school. And she shared with us about a week and a half ago. Come up here and tell us your story about what God set you free from. Okay, so um, just I didn't know I was going to come up and hear, hear and do this at all. So anyway... It's about the evangelism, yeah. So, um, I'm just finishing second year of evening school, and just a plug, if you haven't done it and you're considering doing it, it is the best, well, it's been life-changing for me. But um, it's every other Wednesday, and within each year, you have three Saturday specials, and they're sort of equipping Saturdays. Um, One of them might be hearing from God and prophecy, and there's another one which is on evangelism. And I say that laughing inside to myself. Because when I was year one, I put all the Saturday specials in my calendar in advance so that I could, you know, make sure I didn't do anything. 
But I was determined for the evangelism when I wasn't going to be available because just the whole thought of evangelism just filled me with such fear and trepidation and night sweats almost, not quite. But um, So the time came and the Wednesday before the Saturday, um, Fiona had spoken about evangelism. So I came as I would to a normal Wednesday. And I was really, really stirred in my spirit about what she spoke. And she, um, it was just brought home about the Great Commission and God's heart for his people and um, just how he wants to, um, you know, make himself known to others. And he wants to use um, his sons and daughters as part of that process. And so I felt the need actually to repent of my... Um, thought process really because it wasn't coming out of something of um, that I, you know from God it was just based purely on fear and I battled a lot with that over the years and um, so I went to see Fiona and I said you know could I still come along and she said sign up so this is Wednesday night Thursday comes I've signed up so I've taken the first step I'm still not convinced I'm going to do it but um You know, I couldn't deny what I felt that night um, on Wednesday. Anyway, eventually it came around. I woke up on Saturday morning and I thought, well, worst case scenario, I'll go along. The worship's always fantastic and the teaching is, you know, even better. It's just brilliant. So I thought, if need be, I'll turn up and I can leave at lunchtime or before they do what they're going to do. Anyway, I stuck around and um, we went into little groups with this amazing lady called Angela who's just beautiful absolutely beautiful lady but she's just so everything about her is so full of god but she's fun with it and we went out on the streets and i thought i'm just gonna almost i'll be there but i won't be there and i'll um you know i'll let other people do the talking and i'll just be in the background and um but wow god blew my mind because he just what it taught me was he went before me in any conversation I was a part of, like ridiculously so, um, to the point where, so we were doing treasure hunting and you had to ask God for just clues of people that you might, you know, that you're going to speak to. And I had some pretty radical clues that I thought I've just made up in my head and, you know, it came to, came to be. Um, and I can, to this day, I had literally the best day of my life. Um, I tell everyone about, um, just treasure hunting because I just think it's the most amazing thing that you get to partner with God in and um, yeah I can't speak highly enough of it I don't know if you got that story someone that was afraid and not wanting to engage in evangelism came out and now thought it was the best day of her life You don't have to wrestle with fear in any part of your life, especially evangelism. In the, in the Bible, when the, the 12 went out and when the 72 went out, the Bible says they came back with joy. The normal biblical experience for evangelism is joy. So if you're not having joy when you do evangelism, you're not in the experience God would like you to be in. If you've had a poor experience with evangelism, a difficult experience, you've been manipulated by somebody to do some evangelism in some way you didn't want. That might have put you off, and I fully understand that. 
But God's heart and God's desire for you is, is to passionately and freely and joyfully engage sharing Jesus with unbelievers in whatever way that looks like. Um, if you're, just me, we run a course here at Eastgate, myself and my wife, called Dazzle, which stands for Developing a Supernatural Evangelistic Lifestyle, and it's been specifically designed to help people that, that struggle with evangelism. And, and just like Jess's story, they'll come on week one, very sheepish, questioning why they bother to turn up. Um, they'll encounter God, hear God's voice for many weeks. Um, and Jess, I think, she's on there now. She's in week three, and she's already getting supernatural downloads when she goes shopping. And she's crossed her chicken line and telling, God, telling unbelievers what God thinks of them and what he loves about them. I just want you to know that if, that, if that's you, you don't have to settle for that. You can get free and you can enjoy evangelism. But that's not my talk. Just get there. <laughs> just, <laughs> just thought I ought to say that off the, off the, the back of uh, Jess's story. I want to talk to you tonight about what I call evangelistic identity. So I'm going to talk about evangelistic identity. And you might wonder what that is, but I'll unpack that in the next half an hour or so. But before we start, I want to laugh at some lies about evangelism. So I don't know if you've done that in your Christian life before, but laughing at something that the devil makes up that's a lie can actually disarm its power over your life. Okay, medical evidence says that if you laugh naturally or you fake a laugh and end up laughing naturally, it has the same positive effect in you. So if you don't feel like laughing at the first lie, just make it up. Because it's as medically as powerful and releasing as if you laugh naturally. So, so here we go. This is a, this is a, a kind of a, a spin-off of an old English expression. So lie, this is a common lie that, I, that we found in churches. There is not an evangelistic bone in my body. Should we laugh at that? <laughs> this is not true. That's not true. How about this lie? Evangelism is not for me. <laughs> Less convinced. How about I can't do evangelism? (laughs) One or two of you. Yes, that one needs to come down. And how about this one? Fear will get the better of me. (laughs) I just think that's ridiculous. Well, we need to do some work here tonight. Right. (laughs) If If you think of the... The letters I see after a word or the suffix after a word. So like you've got evangelist, then ick, or you've got poet, then poetic. In the English language, that means that you take on some of the characteristics of the thing you're describing or the thing that's in front of the I see. So for example, you can be poetic, so you can have moments of um, you know, creativity, in your creation of words, particularly important to men if you're wooing a woman. I don't know if it works the other way around. But, um, but you, can't, you, you might not necessarily be a poet. So a poet is someone that can write continuously and regularly and, and is a talent at it. It's the same about being evangelistic. So the evangelist is meant to rub off on people in a good way. So, so the way you become evangelistic is when you get equipped by an evangelist and some of the characteristics or the strengths of an evangelist rub off on you. Does that make sense? So when I talk about having an evangelistic identity, I'm not talking about being an evangelist, i.e. the gift that God has given the church to equip people with. I'm just talking about that you take on some of the strengths and abilities so that you can share Jesus in evangelistic moments that God gives you. It's the same, you can apply the same truth to the apostle, the prophet, the teacher, 
Who have I, who have I left out? Pastor, sorry. Yes, there's five. Oh, no, I missed one out. So it's the same. It's the same thing. That in the pastor, that the, the prophet, the, all of them <laughs> aren't meant to do all the work in the church. Yeah, Ephesians four says they're meant to equip everybody else to do the work. So you won't stop um, those gifts doing things. Don't, don't hear me. Hear, hear what I'm not saying. But then, but everybody is meant to be a bit prophetic. Everybody is meant to be a bit apostolic. Everybody's meant to be a bit evangelistic. That, that's how it's meant to work. You're not meant to thrive in just one area of your Christian life. God wants you to thrive in, in many areas. But let me, before I get into what evangelistic identity is, I want to talk about what I call God's seven-part salvation plan. I'm not going to spend ages on each part, so don't panic. It's not a seven-point message. But I just want to think about the role and the the central role that Jesus plays in God's salvation story. It's not complicated if you've been a Christian for for a while. You'll You'll get where I'm going with this. So part one is where Jesus is born. We all know this because we celebrate this at Christmas every year. But God decides to come and be a human being, or a God-man, if that's a better way of putting it, on earth. That's where God starts his story in the New Testament. Part two is Jesus' life. So Jesus' life reveals what the Father's like. Jesus comes with a completely different paradigm about love and about the fact that God doesn't punish sin because Jesus is going to take that punishment on himself, and that the kingdom of God, or the reality of heaven, is within reach. Literally within reach. Where in Jewish culture at the time, God was distant because of sin. Part three is when Jesus dies on the cross and takes away the sin of the world. See, at the moment, you'll notice it's all Jesus in God's salvation plan at this point. Yeah, Jesus dies on the cross and he takes away all the sin of my life and your life and everyone else's life and any effect of it never to be held against us ever again which is stunning isn't it anything I do by accident or deliberately sin it's covered God will never hold it against us absolutely amazing and not only that he took sin and brokenness to the cro- sorry healing and bro- he took brokenness and sickness to the cross so we could experience physical, mental, uh, emotional healing. So how about part four, Jesus' resurrection? So not only does my sin get dealt with, Jesus rises from the dead and conquers the fear of death, conquers the power of darkness, so I never have to be subject to demonic force. That I have a new future, I have a new life in God. My old one's been wrapped up and taken to the cross. But I'm, I'm united with Christ in his death and his resurrection. So I can know resurrection power flowing through my body. Maybe a lot of you probably experienced the presence of God tonight. Up to these four points, up to, the, up to point four, it's all Jesus. Or the Trinity involved in that as well, to be uh, biblically accurate. And then the pattern starts to change. It's important to realize this. So we have part five, which I call the Great Commission. 
or the Bible calls the Great Commission, but I talk about that being God's dream to reconcile the world to himself. That's God's longing, and that's always been his dream, that every human being that's ever born would be reconciled to him. That's what I call the Great Commission. And a new ministry is given to every single Christian of every generation. It doesn't matter if you're young, you're old, whatever gender you are, whatever race you are. It doesn't matter if you're a church leader or not. Whether you've been saved a day or for 50 years, Jesus gives that privilege to help God fulfill his dream to everybody that's a Christian. So this is where we see God sharing his responsibility with us. So where God has taken initiative and sent Jesus to die um, and rise again, and he was leading, his, you know, ch- leading the charge on the salvation plan, he now shares the responsibility with us. So it's Jesus and us now, if that makes sense. After the Great Commission, Jesus goes back to heaven and receives all authority on heaven and earth. Now that is a moment, isn't it? And because it's Jesus and us, we now share and have that authority. Because it's not just Jesus anymore. So when you're a Christian and you're born again, you have authority over all sickness. I could say you have authority over all dysfunction. Authority over any brokenness. Authority over things that don't thrive. Authority over things that don't work. Authority over culture that is anti-God. Whatever it is. So we're set up by God to change the world we live in and and the world around us. Because we have that authority. I started a new job eight, eight, nine months ago. I walked into the environment. My trade is uh, IT strategy. It usually kills a conversation at a party. But it's what I do and what I'm good at. and I walked into a, uh, this company I went into, and there was no hope around IT. IT was a problem. Projects had failed. And it was just, yeah, it was, there was just no hope. And within six months, people started believing again in IT. Because I'm a kingdom person. I just bring hope into a situation. I can start selling the benefits of IT, an evangelist anyway. I can do that in a technology space. But the point is, is you bring hope. And uh, my boss said to me recently, we were at a pub at a leaving day from some of the team, and he, he just said to me, for the first time in years, I'm hopeful about our future. I just turned up as me, did my job. You can change things around you just because you have the kingdom of God in you. So Jesus is now sat in heaven, and that's part six. Now part seven is where evangelistic identity begins as a journey for, for Christians. So what happens after Jesus ascends and he's sat on his throne? What happens to us? He pours out the Holy Spirit. Okay, and the baptism of the Spirit is described in the Bible as probably the height of God's plan coming together. It, it talks about that when the Holy Spirit is poured out on men and women, young and old. I don't know if you could pull up Acts 2, please, Steve. That's all right. This is what angels wanted to look into in previous generations. So when we're baptised in the Holy Spirit, we live in the height and the fulfilment of the Christian experience. There is no more than this. There is nothing else than 
this fulfillment of getting filled and, and immersed with the very nature of God. This is what life is about. Is that all right? Is that, wait a minute? Is that up there? So we can go to verse 14 if that's all right. Let's just, let's just read this, a familiar passage in Acts 2. Is that all right? Go to verse 14 if that's possible. So I read from here. So then, so then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Now this, was, this is what was spoken by, prophet, by the prophet Joel. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Who's got children that prophesy? Yeah? Common experience across the room. Your young men will see visions. Who's in their 20s and 30s? No, you're not. (laughs) And nor are you. (laughs) For some of you, (laughs) will see visions. Right, it's your bit now. The old... So how many old old men or women in the room? I'm still the right side of 50, but only just. Right. So even all my servants, both men and women. So how many men and women in the room have been filled with the Holy Spirit? <laughs> so I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Who has brought a prophetic word to somebody in your life? So these are signs of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay? I will show wonders on the earth, on the, sorry, I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. Can we go on to the next few verses? Is that right? Right, now look at verse 21. This is, this is very, very important. So think about the baptism of the Holy Spirit has come and touched people in a mass scale. Okay? When I was, I think when we, we were in Hong Kong in our mid-twenties and we were at a church um, smuggling Bibles into China and we were reading an American newspaper that happened to be lying around this church that somebody had done some research, so this was back in 1994 I think, and they reckoned something like 40, something like 40,000 people a day globally get filled with the Holy Spirit, it would be more than that now. So when Jesus says, you know, I will part my spirit on all flesh, this isn't like a little drip, drip, drip from a tap. This is a gush. Yeah? This is unlimited access to encounters with God. But look, look where it goes, because it's linking to a, a, a prophecy in Joel. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So here's a different spin on baptism of the Spirit. When that point of history came, where Pentecost came and God put out his Holy Spirit, that brought an age... Where, the, where access to the Holy Spirit was available to anybody. And we live in that. You're proof of that. We're proof of that. Because you all put your hands up about experiencing that. But what, else, but what also happened at that point is that anybody who called on the name of the Lord could be saved. That couldn't happen until after the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Or put it differently, the baptism of the Holy Spirit ushered in that part of history. So it should be as normal as a Christian for you to experience the Holy Spirit in whatever way you do, whether it's prophecy, whether it's dreams, whether it's visions, whether it's accounting to the presence of God, as it is to see people saved. Because I would suggest the prime reason the Holy Spirit was given was to bring in the harvest. Because the prophetic 
um, in the, the prophecy in Joel, that's the climax of his prophecy. I'm not saying that nothing else is unimportant. Of course, being filled with the Holy Spirit and all the, the freedom that brings into our lives is all part of what God is doing through this. But the climax or the main purpose or the primary purpose is for people to be born again. So we have lived in a time of history for nearly 2,000 years where the kingdom of heaven is near to any unbeliever that they literally need to call out to God and they can be saved. We live in a profound era. See, if you don't think people are interested in God, it's a complete lie because God has changed history and set us up in a part of history where he's more available than he's ever done. If you have any other thinking about evangelism, you're not, I suggest you're not lined up with the Bible. It isn't difficult for people to get saved because Jesus has done everything he needs to do to make it possible. And he's brought us into that journey so that we can take part in that because it's a big dream and he's designed it so that we get a part to play. I'd like to say he needs help, but that wouldn't be very theological good. But you get what I'm trying to say. So at this point in history, in 2019, more people get saved every day than every other time in human history. So we live, we are alive at the greatest harvest time that the history of the human race has ever known. Just because we might not see it every day, or it might not be normal for churches to see lots of people saved every day, we're the, we're the uh, exception to the rule, if that's our experience. And part of being a Christian is to renew our minds, isn't it? To think like God and to understand things from God's perspective. So an evangelistic truth is any non-Christian you meet is within reach of the kingdom of God. It actually doesn't matter how hard their heart is or how aggressive they might look on the outside or how friendly they are. When, when, when Fian and I were... Um, after smuggling Bibles into, from Hong Kong to China, when we were 24, we went back to Hong Kong in 1995 to work with Jackie Pullinger for a few weeks. And it completely, I don't even know Jackie Pullinger, but she went out to Hong Kong, um, still there 50 years on, supernaturally bringing people off drugs, taking the poorest and the most desperate in society and turning them into world changers. Just, and and we, would, we would be in these drug addict meetings where our job was to pray in tongues through the whole drug addict meeting in the heat and the sweat of Hong Kong for about two hours. That's all we had to do. And these, these guys would come in because some of them might die in the next few days. It was kind of an intense environment in some ways. But these guys would come in high on heroin. She would do a basic gospel message. She would talk about Jesus is the rice of life because obviously in that culture people don't have bread. It's not what they eat. Very basic message, and these guys would just encounter God, become Christians, be filled with the Holy Spirit, why the effects of the heroin were still working out in their body. It messed up all my theology about evangelism, about you have to present a nice four-point logical gospel because people have to understand that, then they'll get saved. They just encounter God, and it all just began to happen. So if you think a 30-year-old heroin drug addict can walk into a meeting and encounter God and be born again and saved, nobody's far from the kingdom. Nobody is. Nobody is. So, let's get back onto evangelistic identity.
if you think about normal human identity, don't, don't think of it from a Christian perspective. Your identity is made up of many component parts, isn't it? It's about your physical looks. It's about your thinking style. It's about your, you know, your, your, your strengths. You, know, you could talk about the, the love languages you have. You could talk about the different types of intelligence there are. We are all very, very unique. And it's the combination of all those component parts means that there's no one else on the planet like you. Or there's no one else on the planet like me. If you then layer on top of that what it means to be a Christian, what's our identity in Christ, it means that we, you know, we're now in God's family. I have an identity in Christ as well as a human identity. I belong to him. I am loved by him. I am treasured by him. I'm a royal son. I have a royal mandate to bring the kingdom of God wherever I am. That's part of my royal identity. So the question that I, I've asked and thought about for a while is, is what else is part of my Christian identity? So my ability to prophesy, I've received the Holy Spirit, is part of my identity. The Bible says that speaking in tongues is available to every Christian. You know, the fact that God has put an evangelist gift in me, that's part of my identity. But if you think logically, just with me for a minute, that if when you are baptised with the Spirit, and that every human being is within reach of the kingdom of God, it must mean, logically, that you have an evangelistic ability within you. If you follow the the process or the the flow within Joel's prophecy. See, how can I be filled with the Holy Spirit, be transformed inwardly, come to be absolutely free, and the life of God that he gives me, it's like a river that flows out of me. I've got, an, I've got an unlimited flow of God's creativity, of God's healing, of God's strength, like you, you will do as well. How could any mindset around that exclude being evangelistic? It just doesn't make sense to me. How could it be that I could have that, I could be baptized in the Spirit and prophesied, but I can't bring people to faith? I can have that that healing river flowing through me but never pray but or only pray for Christians to be healed in the church and not non-Christians outside the church to be healed I think it's very hard to to line any kind of thinking differently up to that up to what's said in Acts 2 and, and in the original prophecy in Joel so if you believe that part of your Christian identity is that there's something evangelistic inside of you when you're in an evangelistic moment you'll think I've got what it takes if, you're, if you don't think you've got that, you'll think, I, I wish I wasn't here. I wish my friend, whoever your evangelist friends are, would be there. If you don't think you've got something that God has put in you to be able to make the most of those moments, then you're probably not thinking of yourself as someone with an evangelistic identity. Let me give you some examples from Scripture about how that might show up in your life. Because so, when we talk about identity, it's integrated, isn't it? All your, everything you've got is integrated into one. It's not all separate parts. That's what a Greek mind would do, is separate it all out. So when you play to your strength, so if your strength is being creative, for example, that's when all your personality and all your identity comes into its own. Okay, I'm a very conceptual thinker. I like batting about massive concepts. A lot of people probably don't and find that boring, but that's, that's what you often do in an IT world, trying to get very complex things together and look at for solutions. That's when my strength comes to its own. The point being is, is being, your evangelistic identity will be integrated with all your other strengths. 
One of the things we do when we go and run our Dazzle course in different churches is we get people to listen to Holy Spirit to say, how have you uniquely designed me to be evangelistic? And it's quite surprisingly all the different answers that people get. So we get, this is where God is speaking to people on a Dazzle course. And we were in Sweden a couple of months ago. There was about 50, 70 people there. And this, 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 one, this one lady particularly loves getting people in her house and doing hospitality. And she recently bought a very big red sofa. And then when she was listening to God, God showed her that the sofa was the shape of a plow. It's very unusual. And she goes, that's how God wants me to be evangelistic. He wants to invite non- me, me to invite non-Christians into my house and sit them on my sofa. So we didn't say that. God told her that. And she suddenly realizes that being evangelistic is a strength because it's integrated with all her other strengths. And suddenly she feels up for doing it. See, hearing from God about yourself and your identity is really important. So we might, get, we might do that shortly. I'm just going to read you some examples about how, how uh, different people um, in the Bible showed their evangelistic identity. So I'm just going to, running out of time, so I'm just going to run through these really quickly. So in Acts 9.36, it says, In Joppa there was a disciple named Tabita, in, a, in Greek her name was Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. So that was her, that was her heart, that's what she did. So if, if you're here and you work for a charity, you have a heart for the homeless or some segment of society, or maybe people on the outskirts of society, I would suggest to you that's probably where your evangelistic, or your evangelistic identity is going to turn up. Because God wants to take care of the whole person, spiritually and physically, emotionally and mentally. I'll give you another example. John 4, 28-30. This is the woman at the well. It says, And leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? I don't know if you've got friends that are good at telling stories. I've got a South African friend called Martin. If I ever go to a party with Martin, I'll come home and my stomach will hurt because I laugh at his stories because he's good at telling stories. If that's you and you tell stories or you recommend things or you sell things or whatever it is you know about the restaurant I went out to or the film I went to see, if you're good at stories and people like listening to you tell stories, that's where being evangelistic is likely to show up for you. So tell evangelistic stories. If you hear, if you hear of a healing story, tell about it. Tell someone about it. If you hear about someone becoming a Christian, tell someone about it. See, human logic says people are not interested in God because they don't talk about it. Where kingdom logic says you demonstrate the kingdom and it generates interest in people. That's the way it works. So I, when I, in my workplace, I, off, I let people know I'm a Christian and I tell them about what happens when I go to church. I don't preach at them. Um, I, was at, I was at lunch a few months ago and I was about to go away to Sweden and they asked me what I was doing for the weekend and then I had to explain what a dazzle course was to a non-Christian, which is quite interesting, over lunch. And I said, well, we, we do evangelism differently in our church, like we don't preach hell at people. And then he went on a rant about some Jehovah's Witness that knocked on his door and said he had to make a decision in the moment or he was going to hell. And I thought, he's got it, and he's not a Christian. About some poor methods around evangelism. Um, and in, a, in another job, um, I went out for a leave. I think I was, it was a leaving door or a birthday lunch at a pub. And 
um, I'd been sharing some healing stories with one girl and another girl started asking about it and she said, well, ask Mark. He goes to church where people get healed. So the non-Christians set me up to tell miracle stories. (laughs) But if you talk about this stuff, people get interested. That's the way it works. And what about Peter and Andrew in Matthew 4? When it says, if you follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. There's there's various ways you could interpret this uh, verse. But one way is, is whatever your life experience is, whatever your trade is, so their trade was fishing, God can take that and use it to fish for people. That's what I believe this is talking about. He's talking to fishermen. Yeah, we've got an evangelistic construct a few hundred years later about how that could maybe look like evangelism when we read that verse. But I don't know if they saw it that way. You can't know for definite. But I think Jesus is saying, whatever whatever you've learned, whatever your experiences, whatever your strengths are, whatever your trade is, I'd like to use that to bring people to faith. See, an evangelistic identity is not separate from who you are. I'm just going to say that again, just so it sinks in. It's about, it's integrated with the strengths you've already got. Let me just give you one more. This is an Old Testament one, but it illustrates the point. So in Exodus 31, it says, I have filled Bezalel with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of silver to make artistic design for work in gold, silver, and bronze. So if you're artistic, and I'm going to make that in the broadest definition, not just a person who paints, but much broader than that, that's where God wants to show up. Quite a few years ago, I went to a, a dreams conference and because of the brokenness in my life at the time, I couldn't dream. And they asked us in this conference to write down a dreams list, and I couldn't do it. And I thought, that's not right. Why can't I do that? And I felt like God say, go and look at the prophetic art at the front. And there's a girl from this church who painted a, a beautiful picture of a, a blue and white picture it was of a horse running through along the beach. And God said to me, I want you to be free. The trouble is you're not free. That's why you can't dream. And something changed in me. By looking at a prophetic heart, I went back to my seat and I managed to write 10 things on my dream list. I've got over 50 now and I've got that painting in my house. It took me a few years to convince the artist to give it to me. <laughs> I hear, but I got it. Um, um, I hear stories of people, artistic people on the street doing some unusual evangelism where they'll ask people, where they'll draw something on the street, something prophetic, get people to stand in it and people encounter God. I don't even know how that works. Um, if you paint, paint stuff. Uh, there's many stories. I don't, know if, I don't know if it happens here, but I know in Bethel, in the healing center, people often get healed just by looking at the paintings as they're queuing to go in. If that's you, the life of God wants to come out through that way. Right, I need to wrap up. That's okay. So, do you want to stand with me? Just, just to we'll get you to listen to Holy Spirit finish. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to ask you some questions and get you to listen to Holy Spirit. I'm not going to ask for the answers. I think it would be good if you listen. Um, and my expectation is that God will speak to you. So I'm just going to go through a few questions just for the next two or three minutes and then we'll be done. So just listen to Holy, ask Holy Spirit this question. It might be good to repeat after me. So ask Holy Spirit, have I believed a lie about being evangelistic? 
Just listen for a moment. Just put your hand up if you've heard something about a lie you might have believed. There you go. So ask Holy Spirit this question. What truth do you want to give me in exchange for that lie? So listen listen to Holy Spirit. What truth do you want to give me in exchange for that lie? So did anyone hear something at that point? You've got a truth. There you go. God's just freed you up from a lie. Next question. How have you uniquely designed me to be evangelistic? So how have you uniquely designed me to be evangelistic? So again, if God speaks, it's probably the first thing that comes into your mind, whether that's a word or a picture or a memory or something. That's probably it. So who's heard something about how God's uniquely designed you? Excellent. So take that to heart. Because that will help you. And if you, if you meditate that, that will help you be strong in an evangelistic moment. And you'll be surprised how God sets you up for that strength to come out in an evangelistic moment. Last question. So is there clutter in my life that stops me sharing the kingdom with unbelievers? So is there clutter in my life that stops me sharing the kingdom with unbelievers? Just listen to that. So I just want to finish. I'm going to pray for you. But I just want to finish and say, it's our greatest privilege to be invited by God into his dream of reconciling the world to himself. So if you're in a moment with an unbeliever, you know, in your workplace at home or a stranger on a train, and you feel like God's pulling your heart towards them, Count it as a privilege and say, God, what do you want to do? You're already working here. How would you like me to join in and go with it and see what happens? So, Father God, I thank you for the privilege of partnering with you to bring about the Great Commission. I thank you for all of us that you've given us an evangelistic identity. And I want to pray for us all, Father, that that evangelistic identity would start to bring strength into all of us and that we would begin to see more people saved. Yeah. Amen. Thank you.